Franklin, and you're listening to WMNF Tampa. They do the dog, y'all. The opinions presented on The Healthy Steps Show are the evidence-based opinions of Dr. Fred Harvey, the callers, and his guests. These are not the opinions of the staff, the volunteers, or the board of WMNF. The information provided on the show is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. There is no implied patient-physician relationship in these calls. The nature of the calls is educational and informational only. Hello out there, my dear friends, and thank you for keeping your radio tuned to WMNF Tampa. And definitely welcome to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey. Today, the good doctor will take us through the ins and outs of long COVID. You are encouraged to participate in this discussion, or if you have any related medical questions, by calling 813-239-9663 or sending an email to dj at wmnf.org. You can also text us at 813-433-0885. Good morning, Dr. Fred. Today you want to take on the discussion of long COVID. Post-COVID seems to be a wily devil of conditions that present a wide range of new, returning, or ongoing health problems that people experience after first being infected with the virus that causes COVID-19. I feel like I should throw in a COVID joke about now, but I'm afraid that we would have to wait about five days to see if anyone got it. So, Dr. Harvey, what have you got prepared for us on this topic of the syndrome? Nothing as good as that joke, Bill. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So today, yes, long COVID. um, A lot of people are concerned and uh, rightly so. It's causing some difficulties. The World Health Organization defines it as uh, a condition that occurs in individuals with a history of uh, probable or confirmed SARS-CoV-2 infection, usually three months from the onset of the COVID-19 with symptoms that last for at least two months and cannot be explained by an alternative diagnosis. You have to remember, we do need to look for other possible uh, problems going on. So um, the uh, common symptoms are numerous. We'll talk about those in a minute. And they have an impact on daily functioning. So one of the issues here is that it, it, it makes it difficult to perform your activities of daily living. Um, you know, you might have difficulty getting a shower and having shortness of breath during the shower and you can't really fulfill all the duties of your job, things like that. Um, but uh, symptoms uh, tend to be uh, new onset following the initial recovery and or they might just persist from the initial illness. Um, there are three types that have been described, um, the lingering symptoms from the ongoing infection. Um, This group of people has some impaired immune cells. The um, uh, CD8 uh, lymphocytes, white blood cells, are having difficulties. And there's a subgroup of people that never really clears the infection well. Not a lot of people are doing that. But uh, the second one really is uh, difficult for the people who had severe illness and have been in hospital for some time. They're going to have muscle weakness just from being in bed. And they're also going to have the um, lingering organ damage from having had such severe illness. So they could have pulmonary issues and cardiovascular issues that contribute. And also uh, post-ICU uh PTSD, traumatic stress-like syndrome. <clears throat> and then to the people that recover from the acute illness uh, after 10 days or so, but then they go on to develop more symptoms. 
these um, symptoms that persist for three or more months um, include generalized tiredness or fatigue that interferes with daily life. That's about 50% of the people that have this going on. Um, respiratory and cardiovascular symptoms with difficulty breathing, shortness of breath, and even chest imaging changes over 60%, cough in 25%, chest pains, fast beating or pounding heart or palpitations, neurologic symptoms, about quarter of the people describe thinking difficulty, concentrating difficulty or brain fog, headaches, uh, about a quarter of the people, a little more than a quarter of the people have sleeping difficulties, dizziness and lightheadedness, pins and needles feeling, uh, anosmia or change in smell or taste is about 20% and a significant symptom here. Uh, mood changes with depressed mood or anxious mood, that is about 30% of the people. And digestive symptoms in about 10% and other symptoms, joint and muscle pain, um, a third or more rashes, change in menstrual cycles, all these things actually are occurring um, post-infection. And so that's what makes it really um, uh, difficult because, uh, you know, we don't, we can't treat an infection per se here. We're, we're actually looking at people and trying to treat them. And um, so, uh, you know, the different approaches have been used for different groups of symptoms. So we're doing some symptom control, but there's no one specific treatment for this myriad of different symptoms. Um, so, Who's, who's actually getting this is a good question. Um, anyone who has been infected has the uh, risk factor of possibly getting this unpleasant illness. And so um, the CDC has published something. I've put uh, a link up to that as well as um, the um, amount of people getting it. And then there's wide estimates and, and studies uh, one in 10 um, is what one study suggested. Up to 50% of all infected was one global study. And so that's very concerning because it's affecting so many people and it's likely nearly everyone on the planet will be um, um, very likely to get infected. And so if we have half the people actually getting this problem, we're in trouble. Um, but I don't think that it's at 50% because just looking at the population that I have witnessed, most are not experiencing ongoing symptoms. So um, <clears throat> incidence, interestingly enough, increases with decreasing age, but mortality, death increases with increasing age. So they go in opposite directions. Long COVID affects younger people. The 50 to 59 year old age group is three times more likely to get it than those over 80. And so we have um, <clears throat> a real issue here with um, younger people who are still in the workforce possibly getting these symptoms that are persistent. Seems that women are two times more likely than men and uh, Hispanic uh, people are more likely than Caucasian, more likely than black and more likely than Asian. Asian seems to have the lowest incidence. The incidence of more severe initial illness, this is a problem. Uh, people that have more than five symptoms during the first week of illness was more associated with long COVID. So if you've got the um, 
uh, loss of smell and you have some sneezing, um, you have fever that's ongoing and persistent, you have shortness of breath, cough, um, gastrointestinal symptoms, muscle aches, you have a pretty significant illness and you might be more likely to have ongoing long COVID. But the, the principal risk factor symptoms are anosmia or the loss of smell and taste. That's one of the highest. Almost everybody in, or no, I think it was about, a, 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 well over a third of the people in, the, in this study that was cited here um, had anosmia as part of their initial symptoms. Hair loss was another big one. Sneezing, ejaculation difficulty, and low libido were all symptoms that seemed to be higher risk. And um, female sex, so demographics female, Ethnic minorities seem to be get, getting hit harder with the exception of Asians. Poverty, another big one. Smoking and obesity, which is also a risk for severe disease, makes you more at risk for long COVID. So we see that obesity um, <clears throat> is actually something that is contributing on a lot of different ways to our illness these days. Obesity is a risk factor because it's actually an inflammatory condition. And we know that COVID-19 is an inflammatory condition. It's not really an infection per se, though an infection triggered the inflammatory condition and it triggers the ongoing inflammatory condition that we're looking at and calling it um, uh, long COVID or post-acute COVID syndrome, PACS is an abbreviation you might find online for it. I just wanted to remind everybody that we are on WMNF Tampa. The best little radio station in the world, I'll tell everybody. And I'll also mention that you're listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa. And we're looking forward to your participation. You can call us at 813 813- Two three nine nine six six three, or send an email to dj at wmnf.org. And you can also text us at 813-433-0885. And well, Dr. Harvey, it seems like everything that you've been talking about right now makes it uh, sort of apparent that COVID is almost a global research project. We're still discovering things about it. We had no really uh, understanding or expectations about that is so true, Bill. You know, we have been given an opportunity here to actually look at what something like this does across all systems in our body. And this is why functional medicine is so important, because functional medicine is not traditional illness care. Functional medicine is a new paradigm. Dr. Jeffrey Bland was brilliant in, in, in his original thoughts about applying systems-based biology to human health rather than simply looking at pathology. Oh, look, you have an illness. Here's a pill to treat the illness. No, that's not the way functional medicine works. We say, oh, here's a an illness. There is a trigger for the illness. There are mediators for the illness. In COVID-19, we know the mediators for the illness are numerous, and one of the whole groups of them is cytokines. COVID-19 is a cytokine storm. The more intense the cytokine storm, the more intense the disease, the more organs involved, and the more likelihood you're going to get long COVID. 
Kids with cytokine storm get something that's really, really nasty. It's called multiple uh, systemic uh, inflammatory response syndrome. MSIR um, or SIRS. Um, this is actually what causes COVID. This, this, the bad COVID. It's a cytokine storm, and um, uh, kids experience this um, in 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 septic situations. They're, they've got bad infections in the hospital. They get trauma. They get uh, surgery. Uh, any kind of acute inflammation. So it's any infection, um, and and so um, it's been well documented that the kids that do poorly actually trigger this whole cascade. But adults also, this is the same thing that's happening. And so it's really testing our knowledge of the entire immune system and how it communicates and how it affects the vascular system and how it affects the nervous system and how it affects the endocrine system. And that's why functional medicine is so powerful a tool because it connects all the systems and looks at how the crossover occurs. So this is really interesting because when we look at um, the... People who have infections, they did a study. It was published in Cell. That's also uh, on the uh, website. Um, there are some risk factors they found in inpatient people that would predict whether they're going on to get um, the long COVID. One of those is type 2 diabetes. People with diabetes tend to have a more likelihood of getting long COVID because their immune system is already inflamed because that's what diabetes does. Um, and then SARS-CoV-2 RNAemia, meaning viral load, the amount of the SARS-CoV-2 RNA that's found in the blood, and we can check this, it's easily done lab, when you see how much is there, then you know what the risk is. So people with higher viral loads end up with more likelihood for developing chronic illness, which makes sense because you're going to have more triggered inflammation. Another interesting thing is that the post-COVID syndrome resembles an autoimmune disease. Well, the actual acute also remembers acute resembles an acute autoimmune disease, but the chronic resembles systemic lupus erythematosus (SLE). Lupus is a deadly disease, and they found out that people that are in the hospital that have an autoantibody panel that includes things that are part of the lupus antibody panel, anti-interferon. Interferon is an immune chemical, an immune molecule that helps to eliminate infection, helps to eliminate viral infection. But some people make antibodies to their own interferon. So they're already interfering with their viral attack methods. And there are um, five other specific lupus ones um, R-O-S-S-A, L-A-S-S-B, um, uh, S-N-P, uh, S-N-R-N-P, J-O-1, and P-1. These are all different uh, proteins that the lupus um, an antibodies attack. So it, you're attacking your own body's proteins. So we have six of them that show up that are also a risk. And then a really interesting thing, they found that Epstein-Barr virus viremia, so people who are in the hospital with SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19 virus um, in the body, also have been found to have Epstein-Barr virus active in the body. And then another study actually went on to show that COVID-19 reactivates Epstein-Barr virus. That article is also posted. So here, think about this. When you get infected with the SARS-CoV-2 and you get COVID-19, that can trigger an Epstein-Barr virus um, reactivation and a secondary infection. 
And so the secondary infection um, is contributory to an ongoing immune activation. And though they didn't talk about this in the article, we know that the Epstein-Barr virus can stay active and continue to smolder and create chronic problems. Um, we know that it affects the immune system intensely. And in some people, Epstein-Barr virus can actually produce lymphoma, a cancer of the blood. <clears throat> so um, these this is becoming much more complex an issue. Um, it always has been, but now we're understanding how complex the darn thing is. There are layer upon layer of predispositions, risk factors. And so it seems that really that the people that are going to get long COVID are the people that to some extent are predisposed to severe disease, those that do get severe disease, and those that have less access to good care, ethnic minorities, poverty, smoking, those who are obese. So these are very significant things that we can actually address outside of treatment for um, COVID-19. And there are uh, several studies out. I, I trust the journal Nature for high quality peer review and, and usually very good articles. Um, they published one that says vaccination only reduces the risk of long COVID by 15%. The CDC is saying 50%, but there are studies that say much less than that. So we have to understand that your vaccines aren't necessarily going to protect you from this problem. And what's another interesting thing is that um, this is not isolated to COVID-19 uh, because the um, study that um, uh, looked at the risk factors also showed that um, there is a slightly higher risk for post-viral syndrome um, with COVID than there is with influenza. Yes, nearly 60% of the people with COVID-19 had one, at least one system lasting six months, but nearly 40% of people with flu also had at least one persisting symptom, similar to those seen in people with COVID-19. So, Here's the really big part of this. We're not just dealing with COVID. And so our entire focus on this one virus is going to help us understand what's going on on a bigger picture. But the bigger picture is what's really important here. And the bigger picture is called post-viral or post-infection syndrome. And that's really the key here because... Um, Post-infection syndrome can happen from any infection. And indeed, we've been talking about this syndrome for many, many years. And I think it's a really fascinating topic. We're going to get a little bit deeper into it, but I just need to remind everybody that this is an engaging show. This is an interaction show, and we are on WMNF Tampa. Yes, and we're encouraging folks to participate. I've got Greg waiting to answer the phones for us. He's anxious. And you can get to us at 813-239-9663 or send your emails to dj at wmnf.org or text us on your smartphone at 813-433-0885. And as the doctor said, this is much better show with community participation and interaction. We're looking forward to you. What have you got there for us, Dr. Harvey? 
Well, I think we should really address this post-viral or post-infection syndrome. I've been um, treating it in functional medicine since I learned about it um, in about 1995. People were talking about it before that, but it wasn't really mainstream. I think many people have heard about this thing. In fact, I think almost everybody has heard of chronic fatigue syndrome. And chronic fatigue syndrome has been discussed since about 1987 um, in a town in um, Nevada, I think, in Klein Village, might have been Utah. It's a ski resort. There was a group of like 17 people that all came down with this very bizarre illness where no one seemed to be able to function after they got a virus. No one knew what the virus was, but it seemed that a virus blew through town and then half the town was unable to function. Um, 1987, um, I put a couple of things up there, um, uh, articles that just impressed me that they, you know, they were this aware of what was going on. So post-viral syndrome is a wide range of complex conditions involving physical, cognitive, emotional, and neurologic difficulties that vary in severity over time. These conditions frequently lead to a sense of tiredness and weakness, pain, difficulty concentrating, and headaches that linger long after the viral infection has cleared. Sound familiar? We're not dealing with something new here. We're dealing with the way our bodies deal with inflammation. And this is related to something that is talked about a lot in mold medicine and toxicity medicine, chronic inflammatory response syndrome, where your body continuously produces inappropriate responses. Um, and to just uh, go a little bit further, the Southern Medical Organization, SMA, posted that um, a very, it was a very good article. I just need to read this piece and then I'm going to take a caller. Preventive, medicine, preventive measures are becoming significantly more important. An integrated diagnostic approach and appropriate treatment could reduce this burden. Um, Charles Shepard, um, medical advisors to the United Kingdom's Myalgic Encephalitis Association. So that's actually what we call fibromyalgia. And it's also um, um, talking about the underlying cause of uh, fibromyalgia or myalgic encephalitis and chronic fatigue syndrome is subject to much uncertainty in medical debate. But this is back in 2015. Um, this is one of the reasons why doctors have differing views on how the condition should be managed. At one of the spectrum of medical opinion are those who believe that this is caused by a physical disease process that results in a number of symptoms affecting different parts of the body, including the brain and, and mind. This has now been shown to involve the brain and central nervous system, muscle and immune and endocrine systems. Mental health systems, where they occur, are a consequence and not a cause of this syndrome. Uh, research into causation has to carry a serious note of caution because the research that has been carried out on a very, it is carried out on a very diverse, patient, diverse group of patients who have differing clinical presentations. There's the key, differing clinical presentations and also different disease pathways and different causality. Here's the deal. This is multifactorial, multi-system, and individual. That's where functional medicine comes into helping. I believe Carol is on the line. Yes, I do have uh, Carol there. She's got a question about the uh, Epstein-Barr virus. 
but I've got no shame when it comes to saturating the airwaves with our phone number. I want to get more people on the line here. And you can participate by calling 813-239-9663 or sending your emails to dj at wmnf.org. Let's see what Carol has for us here now, Doc. Good morning, hey, Carol. Carol. Good morning. How are you? Fantastic. How are you today? I am good. Um, I've been listening to your show, and when I heard Epstein Barr, I'm like, I've got to call. So I've never, as far as I know, I have never had COVID. I had the two regular shots, and then after the booster, um, well, back up. I had my gallbladder removed. My my, um, liver levels were high, so I've been doing blood tests. So the one time I had the blood test, after the booster... My CRP levels were sky high, number one. When they were trying to figure out what was going on, she was taking all these tests for mold, cats, blah, 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 found out that I had the Epstein-Barr antibodies, uh-huh. not the virus. Can the booster cause that? We don't know. Okay. Um, not really sure what it is that reactivates the Epstein-Barr virus, but one theory is that when you trigger inflammation, the um, um, immune system actually reactivates the virus because the activity there, because apparently the virus is actually um, got a reservoir in your uh, um, lymph nodes uh, where the lymphocytes reside. And so that's probably what happens um, and very similar to when human herpes virus gets reactivated by any kind of inflammatory stress. Um, it's probably uh, just that the immune system triggers it, it gets irritated, the virus starts moving for some reason. It gets, we, we may turn on a piece of the DNA uh, where that is stored, where it's actually snuck into the, the um, host uh, genome. And because we're using um, genes nearby that, it activates the viral genes too, and it starts doing its thing. Um, but no one has actually really studied that specificity and how this actually works. But um, because you have Epstein-Barr virus antibodies, it may not be a bad idea to check an Epstein-Barr PCR. PCR is a polymerase chain reaction. That is the thing that we use to recognize the um, presence of the um, coronavirus RNA on the nasal swab. So we can do this with a blood test for Epstein-Barr virus and see if you actually have the living virus circulating in your system. If you do, then you probably want to go on to some antiviral um, uh, treatment, uh, whether it's actually um, a medication or an herb that would be for you to discuss with your doctors. But I think it's worth it to find out if you have reactivated Epstein-Barr because that can contribute to elevated liver enzymes. Okay. Yeah, it was weird um, with the CRP levels. Two, what it was really, it was like nine point something. It was ridiculous. That sounds like an acute viral infection. Yeah. And then, like three months after I got the booster, we retested my blood work, not the Epstein bar, but everything else, and it was back down to normal. Okay. So you weathered that one. Um, yeah. It's not likely that the Epstein-Barr virus is still active unless you're having symptoms like, and here, the, what are the symptoms of post-viral fatigue uh, or post-viral syndrome? Same as the uh, uh, COVID, concentration and memory problems, sore throats, headaches, lymph nodes, uh, swollen, unexplained muscle or joint pain, uh, maybe a cough, you know. Not, none of that, thank goodness. <laughs> yes, good, good. So you weathered it. Okay. Well, thank you very much, and I will definitely get the PCR test. You're very welcome. Have a great day. You too. Thank you.
Uh-huh. Yes, and I do have Belinda on the line, but it worked last time, so I'm going to give out the number again. You can call 813-239-9663 or send emails to dj at wmnf.org to participate in this interesting topic today of long COVID and all of its uh, complications. Hey, Belinda. Hello. Hi there. Hi. Um, <laughs> I was listening to what you read right before you were talking, you know, the last caller. Yes. And it's, this isn't necessarily about long COVID, although like what, what you were talking about, how when we have a virus or we have some sort of residual things that happen with our body because of something that we've, you know, gotten like a virus or whatever. Yes. My boyfriend uh, got uh, Bell's palsy uh, about in 2018. And he is yes. concerned because he's read and uh, he's read and he's watched some YouTube videos about the vaccine that that could cause a resurgence of the Bell's palsy. And out of everything in life, he's terrified of getting that again. And I wanted to know if you had any insight about the vaccine. And if that is true, if that is just, you know, a bunch of people talking about the, something they don't know, um, I wondered if you had, because when he had Bill's palsy, hardly anyone knew what in the heck he had or how to treat it. Oh, sounds like he needs a new um, stable of doctors. Well, at the time, <laughs> on Medicaid or whatever, and yes. not what he got. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I hear you. But so, um, the, he had COVID, by the way. I'm so sorry. He, he <clears> did <throat> actually get COVID, um, and he was okay. But he's still never gotten the vaccine. So, um, what's your question about him? Well, is it true that, I mean, is it, is it, if he, I'm trying to get him to get the vaccine. I've, I've had uh, the vaccine, and... Uh, a booster so far. I also had COVID and I didn't have a bad case of it and neither did he. But uh-huh. my question is, um, is that true that, that it could cause a resurgence of the Bell's palsy and should he be worried about that? And, and should yes. he be worried about getting the vaccine? Right. So any vaccine that we get could cause a Bell's palsy because any medical intervention can result in some issues. It seems though that vaccines can cause some of these neurologic symptoms and Bell's palsy is not um, a uh, rare occurrence with um, uh, the adverse effects of any vaccine. So it could happen. Um, The likelihood of it happening is um, very low, but his last um, Bell's palsy occurred after what? He had a cold, like what we thought was a common cold. Yeah. So any virus, any any vaccine can do that. Um, did he have um, um, his COVID in this year? Yeah. Um, so what the current CDC um, uh, studies show, what the current available data is that someone who's had Omicron is immune for the current circulating strains of Omicron and 
the vaccine doesn't appear to add any extra at this time. With other iterations of the virus, if we are to have new strains come out, it might not be as effective. But currently, the uh, any, any, any Omicron infection seems to have given immunity for the BA4, BA5 strains currently circulating. So um, I'm recommending that anybody who's in one of the risk groups um, that they would consider getting a vaccine because it may mitigate their risk of death and severe disease. Um, so if he's in a risk group, it might make sense. But what the um, CDC showed is that um, there's no difference in risk for someone with COVID um, or um, uh, with a shot or without a shot. The um, um, risk is about the same for hospitalization and severe illness, which is almost zero. I see. That's published data. They just uh, don't talk about it because they want everybody to get shots. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just, you know, I, I really would like him to get it just because we have other people in our families that are of high risk. Uh, you know, have Yeah, but is he of high risk? Uh, excuse me? If so... Your other people in the family that are of high risk, they should probably get shots, but his shot isn't going to protect your higher risk family. That's the fallacy here. Like he, his shot is not going to protect them. Their shot protects them. This is the selfish shot. This shot doesn't help you protect other people. This shot helps you protect you. So if you're um, in a risk group, get a shot. Right. And them have like the people I'm talking about in my family, they all definitely have gotten their, their vaccine. So you're right. He he's not gonna help them by getting his shot. He'll help him. Right. I understand what you mean. But you're right. It's 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 there's a lot of info out there that it seems flipped. Like, you know, what you think it is 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 it, it isn't. I don't know. Well the government the government has tried to portray the unvaccinated as, as lepers as to be avoided and it's exactly the opposite because <laughs> the people that got shots are walking around asymptomatic spreading it if they are but it really isn't that much anyway when they're doing that because the the it does reduce the amount of spread but they're still asymptomatic and spreading probably <laughs> so it's a, it's a real big question it's like do you really if you have no risk group and you've had covid do you really need a shot it doesn't seem to be the case because you're not right. going to protect transmission you're only going to protect yourself from severe disease. And if you've survived it already, do you really need a shot? Right. Okay. Okay. Well, I really appreciate all you told me. That, that It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Thank you. You're very welcome. All right. <laughs> Have a great day. And you. Thanks. Bye. So... We have somebody on the line, I believe. Yes, actually, we've got two, Christina and Karen, but it was sort of a bingo I got last time I gave the number on out, so I'm going to do it again. Go for Give it. us a call at 813 I'm sorry, that would be our text. Text us at 813-433-0885 <laughs> or call direct line to 813-239-9663. I want to make Greg work for it today, answering the phones. Earn it there, Greg. You can text us at dj at wmnf.org. And Christina's been waiting patiently. Let's get started with her. Good morning, Christina. Good morning. I'm, I'm going to talk very quickly because I have a little baby here. <laughs> so okay. Please allow me to have a conversation. Um, so I was 
I had a simple blood test done about 20 years ago. Uh, it did show that I had been exposed, according to the doctor, to Epstein-Barr. don't know what exactly that means in the long term, and I don't remember him saying anything else about it. And then, in addition, I feel like I'm in a high-risk group. I have microscopic colitis and EPI. Uh, therefore, I think I'm definitely a good candidate for the second booster. I'm going to do it. But my question is, um, you know, I remember when COVID first came out, I think I remember the experts saying that you could have COVID, not have any symptoms. And just, you know, you don't get a test because you don't have symptoms, but it could be there, and then it just goes away. If that is the case, and I don't know if it still is, but if it is, couldn't that mean that you could be a person that could still get long COVID from having that, from having COVID, not knowing because it's still technically in your blood and it can kind of rear its ugly head later? Is that possible? That is true. Um the there are um, some people have very minimal symptoms. What they were talking about with no symptoms was the prodrome um, of two or three days before you develop symptoms when people are walking around asymptomatic and spreading. Um, but almost everybody does get symptoms, even if they're mild. And the more mild, the less likely you're going to get long COVID. And so um, the fact that you have Epstein-Barr virus quotes exposure, that means that you actually had the virus and you have antibodies to the virus more than likely. And so um, you probably didn't even know you had the Epstein-Barr virus. It went through you like a cold. Yeah, yeah. So then my second question is, is there a test out there, albeit perhaps how expensive it may be, is there a test out there that can test you, which would show that you did have COVID in months or years past, even though it never really was symptomatic. Does that exist? Yeah, yeah. You can definitely get a COVID antibody test. That's what they do in the blood. And um, that will tell you if you've had um, COVID uh, reaction in your immune system, which likely means that you've had COVID. Um, The antibodies in your blood fade after um, something like 11 months. So if you got it in 2020, not likely you're going to be seeing that show up now. But um, yes, you can get a blood test to see. And if you're negative, it's likely if you didn't have symptoms that you didn't have COVID. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but like you said, uh, if I had had COVID in 2020, it's not going to show that anyway. But the chance of me developing long COVID if the symptoms were mild, if I barely noticed them, were very, very low. Right. Okay. Okay, great. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. All righty, I've got Karen from Sarasota on the line. A slew of emails came on in through the back door, and somebody's just ringing on the phones now, too. So let's go to Karen and start things rolling. Good morning, Karen. Good morning. Um, I've got a question. I've read a couple things where the um, alkaline phosphatase level can be um, raised after um, the... the um, Vaccine. Mine's about twice what they need to be, and I believe it was it was happened sometime after the vaccine, maybe two months. I had a CBC. Um, have you heard anything about that? Yes. Um, anytime you have any kind of medical intervention, you can get liver involved. Um, the uh, people discussing adverse responses to the shots have suggested that these liver elevations are probably due to the nanoparticle fats, not the actual vaccine, but 
Um, no one's really sure. And they, these things are usually transient. Previous caller said that her liver enzymes went back down um, later. Okay, it's been about a year without the... Oh. Right, right. Sounds to me like you need to get evaluated for uh, elevated liver enzymes. Okay. Um, could this be uh, fatty liver? Um, you know, many things cause fatty liver, including sleep apnea. Okay, I've always been a little bit high on that, but that just seems excessive. Um, and I've got one more question, if you have a second. What's that? Um, I don't believe I've had COVID. You know, I don't. I may have been asymptomatic, but ever since uh, I got this vaccine, um, I'm just extremely tired all the time. I just don't feel that good. Could that be a result from the vaccine? Um, that could also be a result from um, sleep apnea. Um, I would get those elevated liver enzymes evaluated by someone and find out if you have a cause for that. Usually there is one that can cause fatigue. So the elevated ALP can cause fatigue also? It's related to a syndrome that's causing you a problem and any ongoing metabolic problem can cause fatigue. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. All right. Have a good one. Bye-bye. And you too. Bye-bye. All right. We had uh, quite a bit of success last time. As I said, a slew of emails came on through. I've got T from Riverview waiting for us. But I'm going to go on and give the phone number and email address again. Give us a call at 813-239-9663 or continue sending your emails to dj at wmnf.org. And text us at 813-433-0885. All right, let's go on over to T from River Riverview. Good morning Hello. there. Hi, T. Hi. Hey, good morning. Um, I just have a quick question. I, I, I am actually in healthcare, and I never contracted COVID that I know of. But yes. after having um, the two serial shots, I did wind up having GI issues. Um, a lot of nausea, uh, vomiting, and then I wind up having an emergency appendectomy. Um, oh. Shortly, yeah. Shortly after the second vaccine, they actually expanded out my first shot for six weeks because I was so sick. And then yeah. um, the second shot, I was I could only eat for two weeks if I was medicated with, with uh, Finnegan. And, uh, and then afterwards, a few weeks after that, I wind up having an emergency appendectomy. Uh, my question is, is that um, for the COVID vaccine, it, it, have they made a correlation yet between that GI symptoms and inflammatory processing and whether or not it's considered to be causing IBS and or colitis or anything like that? Um, yeah, T, both the um, COVID infection and the shots have caused gastrointestinal symptoms and um, yours is not unusual. Um, but, um, um, I hope you're not considering getting any more shots because you sound like you are at significant risk for further, um, adverse consequences. I, I'm actually not considering getting any shots. The problem is, is working in healthcare, they want to demand that I get boosted. And well, I, you need to, you need to find a doctor that will write you a contraindication letter because if they, oh, they're good. rejecting them, they're rejecting well, the letters, then, then they're, they're, then they're, they're flat out evil. And, and hopefully they will actually be closed as a business because they don't deserve to be actually functioning as a business because they're abusive and they need to go away. 
<laughs> that business should close today because that's abuse. And I hope that, uh, the, uh, uh, OSHA or, or, or employment administration or somebody would take care of that because that's just flat out evil. I appreciate your time and thank you so much. Yes. Oh, by the way, you might want to go onto the FLCCC, COVID19criticalcare.com. They have protocols for post-vaccine recovery and other things to help you get out of this problem. All right? I appreciate that. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I got an email here from... Uh, an anonymous caller. Um, hey, doc, I have uh, lupus, I believe, SLL. I had two shots in my booster. How much at risk am I for any other disease if my immune system is compromised? Well, um, now, the the I'm not sure specifically because um, CLL is a leukemia, SLE is lupus. I'm not sure which condition this is, but any immune compromise is going to give you more risk for other problems like other infections. Um, at this point, having had boosters, the risk is much lower. Um, so I think you're in a better place there. Pete says, I recently had bone density tests and my doctor wants to prescribe a drug. I'm 66 and I'm skeptical. I'm not sure I need it. Uh, what are the risks? Um, oh, Dave in St. Pete. Um, so actually, depends on which medication they're offering. But first off, I don't go directly into treating a, a man with um, uh, the drugs for osteoporosis before I check the testosterone because low testosterone can cause this. And I also uh, won't do it before I check bone metabolism, the pro-collagen peptide, otherwise known as PINP, and the entelopeptide, otherwise known as NTX, are two tests I do on everybody with osteoporosis to find out what their collagen production is. And I also do a mineral analysis to find out what their calcium is looking like. I use a, a, a Vibrant America's um, micronutrient test because it tells us a really broad base about what nutrition is doing because many things come into play here, including your amino acids. So no, I wouldn't take a drug until I found out how I can deal with the metabolism on my bones first. Cheryl asks, um, what do you think of the pneumonia shot? I was told that all over 65 should get one. I'm scared of getting it. Well, I've been watching people get the pneumonia shot for about 30 years, 35 years, I think. I've never seen more than a swelling arm reaction to it. It seems effective at preventing community-acquired pneumonia, which is common over age 65. And actually, pneumonia is one of the principal causes of death for COVID, and it's actually post COVID bacterial pneumonia. So if you get your pneumonia shot, you might prevent one of the causes of death for COVID. And I think it makes sense because I've not seen major reactions and I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I think some of these vaccines actually really have good effect. I'm going to jump on in here right now. We've got about eight more minutes and I want folks to get their chance to chime on in. Give us a call at 813 813- Two three nine nine six six three, or send your emails to dj at wmnf.org and continue sending your texts to us at 813-433-0885. Got any more emails for us there, Dr. Harvey? I will, but I just wanted to mention before we got too close to the end, what to do here. So, Fair enough. Um, yeah, you know, Western medicine is not addressing this very well. 
And so you probably, if you want to get treated, need to find a functional medicine doctor. Remember that is ifm.org. You can go and do a doctor search there for your area and find a functional medicine doctor who will look at a broader base of what's going on here. And I have posted to the website again, some resources. There's a company called Incel Diagnostics in incelldx.com they do covid-19 testing they do some cancer testing and um this company is actually doing a cytokine long hauler panel um and uh, i've given you um uh, a uh, um an article there that tells how they actually do machine learning super advanced ai to figure out what these numbers mean in context with people who have covid the Patterson Group, Bruce Patterson, is a brilliant academician who actually is a virologist, and he put together the website covidlonghaulers.com. They have a treatment group. I've used them, sharing some of my long-haul patients with them because they know how to apply some of these interesting other medications. I'm not going to go into a list of the medications because they're very much tailored to each individual. Um, and so, but there, there, there are treatments out here and I've watched people improve the best success we had. We were doing a long-term HIV antiretroviral treatment. The person was improving. Then she got COVID again. What a pain. So we're starting over. Um, FLCCC, I've mentioned numerous times, COVID19criticalcare.com. They have protocols for, uh, uh, prevention, for vaccine recovery, for um, treatment uh, acutely, and for long-term COVID treatment. And so we have some options here. Um, so yes, I think um, we have some really good potential ways to treat this. It's very difficult. And um, so um, again, uh, you need support. You need uh, um, some uh, uh, allies, and functional medicine doctors are your allies in this case. Um, Bob from Largo uh, says, "Hi, y'all. Just a comment. Really good information. So many variables. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, uh, Bob. I'm so glad to be able to help because this is complex, and I am having difficulty myself sorting out what's next because it just keeps coming like a freaking avalanche of inflammation." I believe we have a caller on the line. Yes, we do. We've got Mark, who has a non-topic question dealing with long-term COVID. Good morning, Mark. Yes, good morning. Hi there. Good morning. Hi there. I'm. I'm. Uh, I had um, COVID. Um, I had it once in 2020, and then when we really didn't know what it was all about, and then since then, I had it again. Um, like last summer, or maybe last fall. Okay. Not, not as bad, but it's still not good. And, um, you know, I'm, I don't have anything else. Any, I'm not diagnosed with anything else, but I still have these days of, like, crushing fatigue. I seem to have not, not ever completely gotten over it. I have been vaccinated. Um, I even took a booster last year. I even had a booster done last year. And uh -huh. I didn't have any reaction to them. But, I mean, what's your take? What's, what's the environment? What's the community look like that has these symptoms that last on and on and on? They look like you, Mark. Mm. They're across the board. All kinds of people have these things going on. Mm -hmm. And um, your uh, one symptom of severe fatigue is classic. I mean, most of the people that uh, have chronic 
uh, symptoms have fatigue. That's why back in 1987, we started talking about chronic fatigue syndrome. It's a post-viral syndrome. Um, we're almost all convinced of that. Uh, Gulf War syndrome, post-vaccine post syndrome. Think about that. Post-vaccine and toxin syndrome combination. So how do you treat things or what is the standard of care for like, say, Epstein-Barr or, um, or people that are telling you like somebody comes into your office like I'm like I coming in? What, what do you tell them? How can we treat that? Oh. Be treated diet preferably, or is there a medicine out there? Well, actually, as I was talking about it, there are many different approaches because this is a complex issue. And so <clears throat> one of the first things I do when I uh, evaluate someone is to do my own inflammation workup and see what kind of inflammatory markers I have in the in their immediate workup, but I also order one of the Patterson Group uh, COVID long-haul cytokine panels because it can give you a ranking of whether or not this person is high on the uh, COVID panel group or something else. For example, last week I reviewed a test with one of my clients who has multiple medical issues also, and though they had <clears throat> four out of 15 markers that were positive, their COVID long haul score was low. And so they didn't have the things that look like COVID long haul. They looked like they had something else and they do indeed have a mold toxicity issue. And so we need to actually look at this in depth. And that's why I'm recommending people find a functional medicine doctor because it's so complex. There's no one pill that's going to fix everybody. If you look at the FLCCC recovery uh, page, you can see that there's step care with first line, second line, third line, and fourth line interventions. Mm -hmm. So you need to find a functional doctor or go to one of the uh, uh, COVID long hauler sites that I've posted to the page and see if you can find some help. But Mark, we're coming down to the end of the hour and I must say goodbye. All right. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. You're so welcome. Well, indeed, we are down to the end of the show there, Dr. Harvard, Dr. Harvey, and um, always excited about what you've got for us in the future. What's coming on up? Well, I'm going to continue on with this concept here and take it to uh, the next week with um, a discussion of fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, post-viral infection syndrome. They're all connected. CIRS, chronic inflammatory response syndrome from mold. This is all the same syndrome. All righty. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be great. Thank you very much there, Dr. Harvey. And I'd like to thank Greg for handling all the phone calls today. He's been great. It's been busy. And I'd like to remind folks that you've been listening to The Healthy Steps Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa, your community conscious radio station. Stay safe, stay thoughtful, and know that you are loved. You've been listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WNF Tampa. Seconds away is five minutes of NPR news and then we'll present Sustainable Living, hosted by the award-winning team of Kenny Coogan and Annie Ellis. Today they welcome to the show Heaven Campbell, who's here to tell us about the Solar Co-op Solar United Neighbors. So until next Monday at 10 a.m., thank you for your support and listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WNF Tampa, your community-conscious radio station. Stay safe. Stay thoughtful and know that you are loved.